Welcome back to the episode. Man, this is going to be a fun one. It's going to be a little bit of a different uh, from my normal talks, uh, which is good. It's going to be it's more. This is just a podcast for Nick and Nick. Um, but I've got Nick Bradley with me um, from across the pond, uh, which you'll actually be here soon as well, right? Coming back over. That's right. Well, uh, we were just uh, talking about before we press record about our travel schedule. Yeah. So yeah, literally in about two days, I'll be flying to Las Vegas <laughs> for the Grand Prix. So yep, a bit of fun and a bit of work, all that sort of thing. So you had me on your podcast um, and your podcasts are actually short episodes, correct? Are they typically well, tend to be. <laughs> no, I know where you're going with this until, already. <laughs> until the Knicks get involved, and we went quite a bit over. I think it was one of your longest podcasts. But man, what a great the talk. longest one, Nick. The it was. Longest. I went back and checked it. Actually, it's the longest one. Not that it was like like three hours or anything, but yeah. anything over an hour is long, and we're about an hour fifteen, hour twenty. See, I, I, if you if you came to the states and you sit and we'll we'll I'll sit you across this table. We'll probably go for three hours. I, I like that though. I think sometimes it's like you've got to kind of get into different areas and perspectives to kind of get the the best out of a conversation. And, and then it just turns into just us chit chatting across the table and just and, and that's what the podcast <laughs> turns into. It's just us talking about whatever. But um, but man, you, you kind of so you are, I guess your prior job was, and based out of your own words, you were you worked for companies that were going to purchase other companies and your job was to squeeze them for every nickel that they had and to get the, the lowest versus the prey is what we called it nick you were just an, just an asshole just taking these taking these guys <laughs> companies and just giving them the, the lowest bottom price and just finding all the reasons why their company sucks and why the valuation is so low is that right i, I was trained to do that <laughs> both i suppose mentally and practically and we can get into all those sort of things so yeah i mean to give you the kind of the checkered backgrounds i i worked in sort of what i call the world of corporate for for a long period of time uh working for rupert murdoch you know for news international in the media industry uh, i then worked for getty images which was a, a huge yeah success I, had, story. I had no idea how big that company was or really oh, what they were involved in until I spoke to you, that was wild. Crazy, and a masterclass in terms of how you scale a business quickly using certain strategies and techniques that most business owners don't use. So I was there for a while and then um, I got into the world of private equity as a result of that. And in that guise, which is you know firms that have other people's money, effectively investors capital, uh, we go out there when we buy companies and we buy companies to scale them quickly, to buy other companies, bolt them together, and then sell those companies for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But as you're alluding to, it's a buy low, sell high game. So we want to buy companies off people like you or other entrepreneurs. Right. You know, we want to give a bit of money away, but we don't want to give all the value away. We want to keep that for ourselves. Because the, the lower you can get, the more money you stand to make on your, on your end, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's lots of metrics behind how that all works and how everyone's, you know, bonused. But the... The, the amount of money that people make in that world is off the charts, like eight, nine figure paydays when they get a very successful exit after they've done their thing. It's just amazing. There's, there's a lot of money that moves in this world and, and, and the, the average person thinks that there's no money. And the reality is there's a lot of money in this earth. Oh yeah. You've yeah. got to be in the flow of it is what I often say to people. You don't have to necessarily always create it, but you've got to be in the flow of it and understand right. what that means. 
and uh, that's where wealth is created for sure and and something that i've learned myself especially coming from my background and where i grew up is is uh you like you always say it you got to be in the flow in it but if you're if you get in the flow of it it's only a matter of time it's yeah, only a matter yeah, of time and exactly right that and and also then you start to play a bigger game as well because i remember before i got into some of the bigger deals you know i was kind of thinking you know a couple of million bucks here was was decent right but when you start to see, I can't say all the all the transactions and things that I've been in, in detail, but I can say that one of the private equity firm partners that I work with on one deal, he walked away with over $300 million on one deal. That's that's real money. And that was one of a few. That, <laughs> one of a that few. wasn't his only one. That wasn't his one business that he sold one day. That's Mind a, you, that business sold that's over a, $2 that's million. Called, dollars. Nick, that's called a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's called a good day at the wine club later on. But what was interesting is, as as good as you were, your job, what you did, you were ready to walk off a building. Like yeah, you, I had, um, you had yeah. a moment of a, a moment of clarity, I guess. Right? What? Talk me through that. What? Where were you at in your life, yeah. and and kind of what what happened there? Yeah, there's a lot of things that were happening at the same time, and I think as i go through them they kind of all hit at the same time or certainly within a, a time frame where they had a compound effect yeah right so i think first first and foremost i was i was as you said i was the guy that was going into businesses evaluating them uh, effectively schmoozing if that's the word right building yeah, rapport yeah. is probably the nice way of saying it, yeah. with the uh, the business owner and and getting them to trust you know me the firm you know, those sort of things, because we wanted to partner with them would be the, the terminology. But in reality, what we were doing was going in there and assessing those businesses to see what we could do with them afterwards so we could build more value. And that's the game. But after a while, you start to see it for what it is and you start to see how ruthless and cutthroat it is. And over a, maybe a longer period of time, it wasn't quick, but over a long period of time, I started to feel that this wasn't really me, right? It just started to feel very clinical and and the first signs of it all was was at home actually because i had young family at the time still have them thank god young family <laughs> uh wife saying you know wasn't particularly proud of how i was showing up you know i was coming home i was agitated i was not treating everybody very very well super stressed you know mm -hmm. you're dealing with huge sums of money right mm -hmm. so that was the first bit second thing though happened was that i my father he he walked out on our family when i was two years of age and he decided to come back into our life just around the time my my first daughter was being born and how, what was how, interesting how old were you at the time uh mid 30s okay mid 30s and um he tried to get back into back in touch with me previously but you know my family had sort of done the character assassination on him you know he's a bad guy all this sort of thing and and i didn't really want to have anything to do with him because i was pretty loyal to everyone who brought me up my grandfather my mom all those sort of things anyway so eventually i decided well you know what i got to meet this guy so he flew he was living in australia at the time he flew to london we met in a pub it was a pretty emotional experience i could imagine yeah, it was crazy stuff. And, and, you know, what I saw was a guy now in his 60s who had done certain things in his life that he probably regretted. Um, 
other things had been very successful for him, but he'd always kind of probably wondered what would happen if he'd stuck around and sort of seen me grow up. And he never had any other children after that either. So I was his only kid. What a, what a lifetime of the most rewarding thing ever missed, right? Well, yeah. And he, he was, you could tell when I met him, you know, what he said to me, I asked him the question, actually, I said, you know, what happened, right? You know, why did yeah, you of leave? Course. And, and he said, listen, I didn't, I didn't love your mom. Right. And, and there was some situations going on around me at the time about how it was easier for him to not be around because of the stress that was going on between them. Uh, it even got down to, and I haven't really shared this before. It even got down to, apparently I was getting evaluated by child psychologists because, you know, whenever he was around, apparently I went into sort of fits and states and all sorts of stuff. This is as a two-year-old kid. Like yeah. I don't remember it. So eventually the courts decided that it was probably best that he wasn't around because of all the stuff that was going on. And, and that's what happened. And he, and he left. Damn. So, you know, so it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, you don't remember this stuff that affects you when you're younger. I can, it's funny knowing that and knowing what I've done since and different experiences, I can kind of not remember it, but like it's definitely you, in you. You connect the dots of, Oh, this is the reason why maybe I have a hang up here or I have an issue here, or I do this thing over here. Yeah. yeah. You know, things like abandonment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's definitely those things that pop up in different ways because of situations that happened when I was younger. Were you, did you ever have just random question? Do you ever have anything with like this tat, the, the, um, detachment issues? Like you just were detached from people emotionally. Yeah. Well that came later. I think Yeah, it came. It came, well, two things happened actually, and I'll, come, I'll go back to my dad. I, I, I got very, very overweight as a young boy. Like really? really, really fat. Yeah, I was like by far the fattest kid at school. I uh, never would have uh, thought because you're, you're a super fit guy. Well, th yeah, th this is where it kind of, part of the story begins, right? Because yeah. there wasn't much around to influence that. I got bullied pretty aggressively as well. I remember... Um, getting beaten up once by these kids on a holiday and having to go to hospital as a result of it. Cause I was huge. I was like a hundred and I think it was 110 kilograms. Holy right? cow. How old? What's that? Uh, 10, nine, 10. Like how, how tall, how tall were you at that age? Still quite tall, still quite tall. But, but if you saw pictures of me back then, like very overweight, I ate lots of junk food. That's and wild. Yeah. Well, what, I is weigh, like, what is I that? What is that? Like two twenty now. That's like two twenty. Yeah, two twenty as a ten year old. Yeah, precisely. Wow, Nick. I know. So, so pretty big, right? And then, and then, what happened after that is because there was no one. I, I kind of again back to connecting the dots. No one was going to save me, right? There wasn't no. anyone around who was going to help me out from that. So, so it's I then made it's the supposed decision. to be. It's supposed to be your father. Yeah, that's the reality. To, my mum was my mum was remarried a couple of times. My grandfather was around, and he was a pretty strong influence in my life. But Same. but at that point, I just realised I had to take some level of control of my situation. At what age did you figure that out? Uh, ten, eleven. No shit. At I remember 10, it. I remember it really at clearly. Ten, eleven, I, just going something's off. I need to, I need to be the boss of me. Well, I was locking myself. I remember this. I was locking myself in toilets like at school during lunchtime to stop being bullied. Oh, 
it's rough. I remember it. I remember it clearly. I remember year four, year five, and and beyond that. So this is back in Australia. So so the equivalent to, to US or UK. Um, yeah, it was horrific. It was horrific. And I and I thought, you know what? Like, I, I can change this. And I kind of educated myself. You know, it was definitely before I turned sort of a teenager. So that's sort mm -hmm. of 10, 11, 12 age. And I just started to get intentional about fitness and health. I stopped eating like the crap that I was eating and started to exercise. And that was the springboard into more athletic pursuits later did, on. Did you have anybody that supported it? Um, my grandfather is probably the one who was always there. So if I was playing a basketball game or rowing or whatever, whatever the thing was I was doing football, um, he would, he would never miss a match. He'd always be there, but there was no one coaching me or anything on what to do at that point in time. It and, was education by myself. And the reason why I asked, because to be 10, 11 years old, to be 110 kilos, to be that much overweight and to decide and, and to make the decision, to make the decision, right. To, to get in shape and to figure some things out. Um, with nobody that to coach you, nobody to because that first workout, even for grown men, you're 40 years old and you're like 300 something, 300 pounds, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna start training. That first workout, that first meal, the first couple days, the first week, it is brutal, and I can't imagine being a 10 year old boy going, I'm gonna change this with nobody to encourage because the the results don't come overnight. I think it breaks my heart, Nick. Uh, it was, you know, I look at it now and again, back to the point we made beforehand about you don't always know things are what they are in the, in the moment, right? I, um, that served me massively that period of my life, you know, in a positive way. Yeah. Like hugely in terms of decisions I made afterwards. I mean, had I have not gone through the bullying, right? Have that not have happened? Uh, I, I don't know what I would have, I would have done, you know, in terms of the trajectory of choices hey listen i feel the same way i I'm, we got we, you and i have a very similar background i wouldn't change any of it I, it there's some really dark sad things that have happened i could not change any of it because those and i and i teach this same thing i said you think that your traumas and your burdens and all the things that have happened to you are are bad those are actually gifts yeah because they make 100%. us who we are and without those Without those challenges, without those traumas, without the all of the, the just horrible shit that you had to go through, I would not be who I am today. It's made me who I am. Yeah, hundred percent. And 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 not that it didn't necessarily create a straight pathway to. <laughs> no. you know, I like that. I like that. The meme that people what people think versus what it oh, what it really is. I know. I love that. I've, yeah. I've used that many a time. That yeah. picture. I tell you. Yeah. It, it kind of, it's, it, it's, it's, it's like steps more than anything else. And sometimes yeah. those steps are broken and go backwards. But, um, I, uh, what ended up happening there is I ended up then really committing to fitness and, and, you know, competing at a pretty high level at my school in basketball and rowing and other sports. It then took me to, uh, my first business actually, mm -hmm. because I got, I ended up getting so into health and fitness that I ended up hiring a personal trainer before I had any money. This is quite interesting. I was kind of in my early teens, sort of, let's say 15, 16. So you lost, it was only 20, I mean, I guess 20 kilos is quite a bit, it's 40 pounds. So you were, you were down quite a bit before you hired a personal trainer. 
Yeah, I was at that point, we're talking a few years and yeah. I was competing at, I mean, I was getting pretty damn good at sport, you know, so I was the fat kid that couldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden I'm in the, some of the best teams in my school. Right. And that's, but you did that all, change. you did that all on your own as a young man. Yeah. Why do you think that is no father, no anything? What was, what was in the tank? What were you, what was the self-talk? What, what was the fuel that did, it kept you from quitting? And having well, discipline. It was pain that, that got me to do it. Mm. So remember, like, if you're getting bullied, like, imagine locking yourself in a toilet every every day oh, I for used to, a year. I used to, we used to run. I, I Now I think about it, I was like, I was escaping and evading, like I would do in the military and special operations. But when we would move to a new neighborhood, me and my brother would, would run from corner to corner and building to building to, like, evade bullies because they were hunting us. They were like, as soon as this bell rings, you're, we're coming after you. Well, then you know exactly what yeah. it's like. So yep. my, my recollection, again, I don't remember the detail, but my recollection is, you know, when you've got that much pain, you'll do whatever it takes to change that situation. Yeah. So that was it. It's, mean, just, it wasn't, it's just awesome yeah. because it, today what happens today is people get depressed, they, they, they isolate, they eat more. And then what do kids do when something like that happens? You hear about them commuting suicide. It, it, and that's it's i can't even fathom how tragic that is right to feel that alone that they feel that helpless right horrible absolutely horrible yeah and as a parent i think you know as a parent and a leader and somebody who does a squire program and invests a lot of time energy and money into young men oh it just breaks my heart man so i, I don't know what it was specifically right i think um what one thing one thing that resonates is once you start to see some results and you see see a different mm -hmm. paradigm, right? You that that level of momentum continues if you if you allow. I was scared to be frank to go back to what I was. If you ask me now, I probably am still the same. Yeah. So it was funny how I talk about this all the time. So you started losing weight, started becoming more fit, started becoming better. I'm guessing your confidence went up. The positive snowball yep. effect yeah different associations with things uh of course at that age you're also starting to you know have girlfriends at the beginning of that side of things um i ended up doing some modeling believe it or not right male modeling back in the day that's so awesome funny. right so what, funny. No, what you age laugh, you laugh your head off hey i'm, I'm uh, 40 listen i've got a couple companies at 41 i'm modeling you know what i mean like it there happens yeah, it's pretty tragic stuff. But um, <laughs> I've we're even talking, Nick, Nick, we're I've done a now. calendar. I've done a calendar. Oh my god, you should see! I've I've done like catalogs with like really bad um, cardigans and stuff. <laughs> well, you got I've the, also done. You got the look, sir. You got the look. <laughs> oh my god, I'm almost fifty, mate. I'm uh, forty nine, fifty next year. It's so. a different. It's a different catalog now, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely it's an old man's catalog now. anyway but this is we're now starting to move into later teen years yeah. right when that happened but for, for the course of let's say from 13 all the way to when i finished school and i started mm -hmm. doing some personal training towards the end of of school mm -hmm. uh i was just i was just getting better at sport i was having more acceptance in groups that would have probably ridiculed me before <coughs> i had you know girls taking interest, you know, all that stuff was going on at the same time. Yeah. And I then associated, and I still do, right? I associated a lot of my identity 
into my physical fitness and appearance. Absolutely. Yep. You know, and and from that, because it gave me so much that I hired I hired the personal trainer, a guy called Duncan Blakey. I, I hired him not necessarily to get in better shape, but I wanted to learn what to do. Mm. And then, you know, to, to sh- shorten the story a little bit, he hired me to be a personal trainer with him. And I'm talking probably 17, 18 at this point, just finishing school. It's funny how that works, right? Yeah, it was crazy. He, he took me under his, his wing because... I think, like, I I think you said something early, earlier about getting in the flow, like getting in the... F- you got in the flow. Yeah, I, it's funny. I kind of wanted that to happen, I think. You know, the more yeah. I think back these days, like I was paying him hardly anything and he, and he knew I didn't have any cash, right? So it was like, you pay me this amount per, per week mm-hmm. and you can train this many sessions. Yeah. And I trained with him. So it wasn't like a traditional PT thing. So, and he was pretty hardcore. So he, he and I trained and trained and trained. And then he asked me to kind of join what he was doing. And then I had my first foray, I suppose, into business just in the transition of leaving school and going to do something else. Excellent. Yeah, it was cool. It was really fun. And um, I ended up starting up my own thing after that. And that, I joke actually, I say that's the first business that I started and exited because it was a very small personal training studio, private studio in Adelaide, South Australia, which of Mm. course no one's ever heard of. (laughs) And I had very, very high net worth clients because, you know, we're talking late eighties here, early nineties. And how old were you? People didn't have personal trainers. I was about 18, 18, 19, that sort of age. Brilliant. Moving into my early twenties. Good for you. It was cool. It was great. And and um, I sold that business for three thousand Australian dollars. <laughs> <laughs> my, it's my it's my my origin exit story, right? Yeah. As opposed to some of the big ones, uh, to a mate of mine. I basically sold the client list, and yeah. then I jumped uh, in my car, drove to Sydney, and um, got a job working for Men's Health magazine under Rupert Murdoch, and that was my first transition into the world of corporate. But if you, if you kind of put a, wow. a a peg in all of that, like I learned a lot in that decade around myself, about the importance of physicality on mindset, about how to deal with people, how to deal with high net worth people. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, right? And, and how to associate in those environments, heaps of stuff. I mean, lessons that you probably still draw on today to, to make you who you are today. Like that yeah, was huge. That, that, was, best, your found, that was your foundation, yeah. Yeah, the best education you can have. I didn't appreciate it in the same way uh then uh and and in fairness like that first sort of decade transition took me into a pathway that then took me to a totally different direction which is probably why i had to change things later on but um it was kind of like it was it was a really interesting thing i kind of think i got a lot of life experience at a young age and i didn't quite know what to do with it all yeah (laughs) it's probably it's probably a good way of summarizing just curious what do you how different do you think it would have been if your dad would have been in your life yeah. Well, two things from that. Firstly, as I said, my grandfather was a huge influence in me. He yeah. was a really hard guy. Uh, he was the first um, man to uh, have, uh, what was it? He had a double bypass heart surgery and ran a marathon afterwards. I know. I've got a picture of him just back there. In fact, he's on the wall behind. And uh, just, he, he had, Australians are just built different, right? <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. yeah, crazy, right? Double bypass, right? So you've had your open heart surgery, 
and then you go and run a marathon. He did it in four hours, 10 too, which is Oof. pretty damn good for anyway. I know, not bad, right? Yeah. So, so he was he was a gritty guy, like old school gritty guy mm-hmm. and pretty hard and pretty disciplined. So as much as I said, I didn't have any direct help on that transition for sort of losing that weight, His he, he in the background was there. Yeah. Right. Not saying anything direct, but just being a presence. Did you have? So to your question, do you I feel had him around? Yeah. Do you feel uh, when you're going through it, do you feel like you wanted to impress him, or you wanted to like live up to his a- approval? Yeah, I just think I needed something around that was that was kind of giving me guidance. Yeah. You know, in the best way that he could. Yeah, of course. Right. And he always said to me like. You know, he, he thought of me as the son he didn't have. He never had boys. He had two daughters. Yeah. So it was an interesting dynamic, though, because you had that going on. You had my mum breaking up with my dad. She got remarried. My, my, my grandfather was a very strong character. Mm-hmm. No other guy coming into my mum's life could ever step into that. Yeah. yeah so And who knows what happened beforehand, like in terms of how empowering he was and maybe that had impacts on my dad. That, that conversation, I know they didn't get on very well, but I never got into the detail as to why. Yeah. Well, See I what can, I mean? So we, as, who as, knows? as fathers later in life now, we, we can probably imagine a few things. Oh yeah. 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 I can, I can see, <laughs> I, I can see there would have been interesting dynamics around all that sort yeah. of stuff and the sort of character he was, but you know, for good or for bad, you know, I learned a lot from him. So had my dad been around, there would have been an interesting dynamic between those two for right. sure. So how are we going? So go. come on. Where were we at? Men's health grandfather so yeah yeah i transitioned yeah. to what do we say Grant, you, you asked about whether um if my dad had been around how would it have been yeah yeah, yeah. but your grandfather was there so yeah exactly and i think the other thing to say around that is my dad he was pretty clear that he had some growing up to do and, and some things he had to sort out in his life back then so had he have been around maybe his maturity level and stuff like that may not have been the right temperament and you know i get that but from as a father and as people who work, you know, what I do with the Agogi with fathers, what I do with Squire program, like if you have a kid, I don't, I don't give a shit. Get your shit together. Like it's time to go hire a mentor. You got to do whatever it is to do because you're like, I feel, you know, and I've, you know, as I've gotten older, I've been much more forgiving, much more forgiving to my father, much more forgiving to anybody that's kind of outrun because I just don't want to carry the weight of any of it anymore. So I just, I'd rather forgive and, you know, and that's, that's, and that's more about me than it is about the person. Right. And um, I just didn't know any different. I mean, yeah. if you think of it this way, when you're a two year old kid and I, as I said, you don't remember anything. So I remember my mum being, you know, a bit distraught all the way through that time and, and, and lots of chaotic things going on and, and her trying her best, right? Like, not like, of course. you know, she, she had to be there and, and, and do everything she could to support me. Yeah. And then I had my grandfather stepping in doing his thing. Right. And that's what I knew. So, you know, and I think the, the trying to sort of turn things around, I did have love and support. It wasn't like I was by myself. I just had some interesting things going on, I think around what I've learned now about how I apply myself to situations that was starting to show up when I was a young kid. Yeah. So let's fast forward. Grit, let's, let's fast forward to how, how did you get from men's health to just robbing people from their robbing people, just robbing, <laughs> straight robbing. Robin Hood. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm Robin Hood now. Robin, Robin, Robin Hood, Hood now. Yeah, you were the you were you were more like the tax collector before, 
And then, well, <laughs> well, other than the fact that tax collector probably makes no money. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> the private equity guy does make a bit of money. So, yeah, I mean, so how did I'll, how did I'll fast that afford it? Yeah. So, so I, I ended up going work working for News International, uh, working for Getty Images, and and there's a thing where when you're involved in these these big businesses, what you start to learn is that a lot of them have uh, investors behind them anyway. And they start to operate like at a very, very different level when that happens. Mm -hmm. And there's different levels of scaling that happens in businesses that have investment versus startups and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. So I just learned a different playbook over, over the course of about a decade working with these high level corporates that were buying businesses to scale. And then when you get into the private equity game, it's all about buying one business and then buying other businesses and creating these groups and then selling these groups for, you know, 15, 20, whatever it is, times, you know, the, the profit that's generated. And so I ended up getting into that well because I was successful in that corporate career. And success was defined by me at the time as how quickly I could climb the ranks, mm -hmm. uh, how much money I could make, 100% that, how quickly I could step on someone else to get a result. And I think the unfortunate thing is sometimes that stuff is is well rewarded. <laughs> it's 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 recognized uh, on a balance sheet as being effective leadership. And that just got me into this this world where the pinnacle of that exists. Mm -hmm. And and we joke a little bit that um people call me Bobby Axelbrad. There's a TV show called Billions yep. where there's a character called Bobby Axelrod, right? And I've got a little little caricature here. Here it is. There he is, Bobby Axelrod. And because I was like that, right? That was my world, right? I would have done anything to take your business off you, Nick. Like, absolutely. You know, you're a smart guy and astute guy, but I would have tried to absolutely screw you. What I was paid to do. And I actually, you know, to some extent thought that's what I was about. And you were good at it. Yeah, the best at it. Yeah. So what, but you told me a story about how like, I don't know what, if it was a, a single day or something happened, but you were like, mm, I don't think this is, I, I hate, I hate this. I hate myself. What happened? Well, it comes back. It comes back a little bit to my dad, right? So I, I mentioned this and I'll kind of get into why this is important. So my dad had come back into my life. You know, we already heard about him. Yep. Okay. And one thing I didn't mention is that he was a very successful entrepreneur. Very, mm -hmm. very successful um, to, to the extent that he had, created a business that was generating, you know, millions of dollars. Then he lost it in a, in a bombing, a terrorist attack in Melbourne back in the, I think it was the eighties. It was the Turkish consulate bombing, lost it. This is, this is around his 40th sort of age, age group. Uh, then he had to go back and do it again. And he created another business. And uh, again, it was successful into his fifties and then he retired. But I never knew this doing it again isn't it no okay so i never knew this and having met this guy like had left my life for 20 or so years i never realized that i had this level of entrepreneurship i had a, a spark of it when i did the personal training thing but then i realized actually a i'm more entrepreneurial than maybe i'd given myself credit for mm. but the big lesson was the people that i'd been screwing around for almost a decade were people like my dad these people who created businesses from nothing, right, and ended up trying to do something with them, but then met people like me who would absolutely suck all of the value out for themselves. 
And it was that point that I was closing a big deal. I was involved in a transaction that was, was close on $2 billion. And I went to bed one night and I broke literally the two molars in the right side of my jaw, literally grinding my teeth to the point where I woke up, it was three in the morning. I remember looking in the mirror, I went to the bathroom and it looked like I'd been punched in the face. And I remember thinking, what the hell happens here? Right? What the hell happens here? And I had literally little bits of teeth here in my, in my, in my mouth. It was absolutely crazy. I ended up going to the, the doctor first and then the dentist the next day. And they said, it's all stress related and everything else. What it was though, was the combination of my dad coming back, closing this big deal, me starting to realize that maybe my identity is not what I've been trying to portray. Mm. Right. When you, when you compromise your values and, and, and your identity or certain things like that, it really comes back to get you physically is my belief. Yeah. Okay. If you're not living concurrently with your values and what you truly believe. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. And then the other thing, the last thing I'll say about my dad is he'd come back into my life and over a few years, we built this relationship and got on really well, particularly as I started to understand him and see more of myself in him. And he started to meet my family and get involved. And around the same time, he got diagnosed with cancer. And within 12 months of that diagnosis, he passed away. And all of that, all of that was happening at the same time. And it was that point, it was that point that, you know, I said about not wanting to be around the place anymore, wanting to change, all these different thoughts were coming in. And that's when I made the transition to what I do now. What a gift that you were able to have that window of time with him and, and he was able to see your family. Oh, it was huge. I mean, there was one day um, I'll share here because it's an important one was I went and ran an, an ultra marathon in Vermont and it was a hundred K race in the Vermont uh, mountains. And he'd flew out from Australia and he crewed me that day. So crewing in an ultra marathon is a, an all day event. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a 12 hour event. Yeah. And, um, and he got to be, that was probably the one time that he properly got to be dad to me. Like, you know, I was in a world of pain. He was there the whole day. And it was at the end of that trip. I remember we celebrated that trip by going to a, a beach in Cape Cod. Mm -hmm. And there was pictures of him with my, my, my daughter, Arabella at the time. And the most beautiful day you've ever seen. The next day I saw him was the day before he died in Australia, less than a year later. man yeah it makes you think that you'd be thankful for some little shit right oh you know you mentioned the word gift right this was yeah. a gift of many things i sometimes think had i have not met him gone through that experience started to realize certain things would i have stayed in that world and then and, what and, and then what would your life look like what would your family look like i'd look a lot older i think <laughs> yeah you wouldn't be you wouldn't be modeling in extra in different categories of catalogs right <laughs> uh, let, let's be clear i'm not modeling anymore right but the point yeah. is yeah I, I i made some very different decisions through that sequence of events over the over the course of a couple of years yeah um and it does feel like a totally different way of thinking about everything for me in terms of belief systems and mm. and, and we've used the word identity a lot but a different way of framing who i am and what i'm about yeah excellent so you stress cracked your molars 
and then you decided to pivot to what you're doing now. So talk to me about what that looks like. So essentially you, switch, things, you switch teams. Yeah, I switched teams. Yeah. I switched teams intentionally, not, not necessarily straight away in terms of the practicality of that execution, mm. but in terms of the decision. So less than a month, after I'd broken my teeth and done all that sort of that, that happened, that incident, I ended up um, calling up a friend who, and I told him everything was going on. And he was a very successful guy when we were younger. And we, he, he advised me to do something that I would not normally do. He advised me to go to a Tony Robbins event. All right. And I'd read some of his, I, I'll be really honest with everyone listening to this. I thought, what a joke. I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? But then I was at a point where I needed something. I needed something to, to sort of change the way I was thinking. So I ended up going online, finding out when the next um, Unleash the Power Within event was happening. And I remember saying to my wife at the time, I'm going to do this. And she was like, yeah, thank God you're doing something because, you know, you need to do something. <laughs> and I ended up, yeah, it's crazy. I ended up flying out to Chicago a few weeks later and sat by myself for four days in this auditorium. And I remember crying and all sorts of things. I just, my, my whole way of thinking was changing. There was a shift in this mm -hmm. idea of contribution and mm -hmm. the fact that achievement and fulfillment are different things, right? And you don't have to be all about you and ego and money and, and this. You can actually create more service in the world. And from that, you'll have greater levels of fulfillment. And mm -hmm. I had none of this, right? So the, the, the glass is empty. And it was in that four days, and I share this with everyone because it was in that four days that I made the decision to quit private equity. Okay. I didn't execute that decision straight away, but I made the decision. And then I came back and I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to work out how we do this because remember you get paid a lot of money in private equity. So how can I take the skills, the experience and create something where I can, you know, turn that into good, right? From evil, as I was mentioning. Yeah. So I did, I, as you said, I decided to switch teams and I said, you know what, I'm going to go and sit firmly on the side of the entrepreneur and the founder, and I'm going to help them repair their businesses in a way that a private equity person would so that they do that well in advance of ever getting in a conversation with someone who's going to acquire them mm -hmm. so that when that day comes, right, they are absolutely prepared to maximize the value for themselves, not necessarily to to make all these people into millionaires or whatever is in billionaires. But it was the idea that there's a disproportionate game being played. And if you don't know how to play the game, you are going to get screwed. And, and you I mentioned, and you said something to me is like, some of these guys are really good about building businesses. There's some really good entrepreneurs out there, but exiting a business is might as well be a business into itself. Like you've never, if you've never exited a business that there is a huge learning curve and game to be played there. And I've, you know, I've exited two businesses, but it, not on the scale of which we're looking at now and not at the scale of which you're playing. And there's a big, there's a, there's oh, a yeah. different game to be played there. Yeah. And you don't and, know. And remember, you don't know. But the other thing also here is you are playing in the world of sophisticated buyers. These are people who are doing this every single day. And, and what I often say to people is this, that I don't know how many years you've spent, you know, building this thing. Right. But when you sell it, it's going to be the biggest financial event of your life bar none, unless you build another business and sell that. Yeah. Right. And just think about that for a second. It's, it's like, it's like you put all this energy into creating personal freedom. Maybe it's wealth, generational wealth. Maybe it's a, a bigger, a bigger mission or impact. 
And you then enter this last phase of the race without any understanding of how it's played with a worthy opponent mm -hmm. that's absolutely trained and trained and trained to win. Yeah, they've played. Okay, that, they've they've played. Three, they've won three hundred games. This is your first game. It is, and I often say to people, if you want to learn how to scale a company, learn from private equity guys, yeah. because it's clinical, it's disciplined, it's precise, it works repeatedly. And so, you know, scaling a company to the eventual point where you have the ability to exit, even if you don't want to do that right away, you can actually build a business so that it's always you know, what I call ready to exit or has transferable value. And that's what I like to impress on people is like the exit's great. Managing the exit's fantastic. You know, if you know how to do it, mm -hmm. but building a business that can be that at any point is the real game. I'm trying to see how to ask this question or something that you could, if, if you were, well, just look at me, like, let's, let's talk about me or talk about somebody like me as an avatar. What are the yeah. things that we should be doing? What are the things that we should be looking at? How do we educate ourselves other than hiring a guy like you, right? Obviously, if you're going to, and another point is not to sell you onto an audience, but essentially what I'm, what I'm hearing is if this is the biggest financial play you've ever played in your life, why would you not invest in somebody that's going to make you make sure you get across the finish line with the best possible outcome? You put all this energy and years into this thing, and then now you're you're gonna put it on the table, you know, at the chopping block here. Why would you not show up with the and just plan for the best possible outcome instead of going at it haphazardly? Like it, it just seems to me like why why put all this effort, you know, in the years and decades prior, and then go to the finish line half-assed. That's a great question. We're at the, you asked the question, you know, why would someone not think about him? Yeah. And then what, and then what do we need to do? What is somebody like, what should somebody like myself do in preparation for that? Like, how do I get okay. educated? Yeah. So the way, the way I talk to people around this, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's what I said previously, it's a big event yeah. and it has to be well orchestrated. It has to be kind of like the swan song of everything that you've put into the business when you think about it, because if you get it right, A, there's two things that happen. A, you're going to make a lot of money, right? Which mm -hmm. allows you different choices and personal freedom. But it's also about how you feel through the process. Like no one likes to feel like they've been ripped off or, you know, uh, abused through a situation, particularly if it's done in a way that you don't see it happening until it's too late. Yeah. Okay. And I remember having conversations where I might have someone opposite me at a boardroom and I'll be giving them the legal documents and they'll read through them and they'll go, hold on, this, there's some things in here we didn't agree on. And I'd say stuff like, well, hold on, your lawyers should have checked that out. Right. Well, I didn't, I didn't get that advice, you know, whatever. And then there'll be this conversation about, well, I'm not accepting the deal. And I would say something like, listen, you've got two choices. You can sign the paperwork and you're going to walk out of here a millionaire, or you can choose not to sign the paperwork. And I'm going to tell every private equity firm around that your business is damaged goods and you're not going to be able to sell it for years. Oh, gnarly. Hell, horrific. But what happens? They sign the paper. They sign the paperwork, up, yeah. You know, yeah, it works. So to answer your question, first and foremost, you have to learn. You don't necessarily have to be the person who's the expert in the exit, but you have to understand the process. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the things that are going to drive value in your company, that are going to take away value. 
you have to learn uh, how the private equity firms think and operate. Okay, the way to do that is, you know, get yourself in certain rooms, get yourself educated by, you know, going to various events and things like that, read up on it. I mean, I'm writing a book soon on this whole topic. It's going to launch next year, which is how the private equity guys do this. It's an mm. in, in ability to be able to educate business owners and entrepreneurs. So that's the first thing. The second thing I say is you've got to give yourself runway. It takes at least 12 months, if not 36 months is my usual thing, before you'd want to start a sales process to get prepared. The longer, the better. So you might spend three years de-risking your company, building value in your company, making it transferable, removing yourself as the bottleneck on, on all different areas, uh, having succession in the business. So you've got a leadership team that can replace what you're doing and others. Okay. Getting the finances, you know, prepped up. So you, you, you pass any quality of earnings analysis that a private equity firm will put you through. There's, a, there's about 15 different things, Nick, that I often say you have to optimize over that, that runway period to give yourself the best chance of hitting the highest multiple at exit. Don't you have a book or something that you offer for it's a 15 no it's things. coming out it's it's coming it's coming out it's it's it, it might even launch by the time we release this no 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 it's you have a podcast we'll put a link to the podcast where he talks about it i have Just, a podcast there yes. is an episode in there called the 15 reasons yes, why that's your what business it was will not sell that's the one i think i sent it to you yeah that's the that killer. was excellent that was excellent and you know what i thought <laughs> no what I, not to like you know but i sent it to my business partners as well and i was like dude we're doing pretty freaking good <laughs> These, these 15 things anyways continue well, I, haven't, I haven't finished <laughs> so, so so that's the preparation piece that's the preparation yeah. piece and then the last bit that i'll say is you've got to surround yourself with the right team now that includes people like me yes but it also includes lawyers it includes the right financial advisors uh you know making sure that you haven't got an issue with tax is another mm -hmm. issue as well like you've got to be able to manage that piece so make sure that you have around you the absolute best people to be able to lead you through the process so that you get the outcome. I, um, how much do you think it's worth or valuable or whatever it is that the private equity people that you're working with align morally with you, with your business as well? Uh, it's well, explain why it's hugely important. Well, there's two, there's two types of exits. You can have an exit that goes to a strategic, which effectively means another company is going to buy you. And sometimes they'll buy you just to turn the lights off, mm -hmm. right? They don't really want you necessarily. They want the product, the ecosystem, the customer base, and they're just going to, you know, literally consume that into what they've currently got. Yeah. But in a private equity transaction where you're effectively partnering with them, particularly if you're the first acquisition that they've made in a market or an industry, mm. you have to align with them because you're selling your business. You might have to stick around for a couple of years to, to get paid some of that value. It's called an earnout, and they're going to have operational control of the thing you've created. So, you know, again, in my old world, I would often play that to my advantage. I might say, I'm going to pay you a third of what I, uh, I said the business was worth over the next couple of years, but you have no control over that decision. Mm -hmm. If you say, oh, but hold on, we're gonna invest marketing here. We're gonna, well, no, you're not, cause it's my business. Like, so if you're not really clear on the price that you've sold the business for and the terms of the deal, you'll get shafted. You won't get that last third of the money. Yeah. So alignment on values, alignment on strategy, controls, everything, all this preparation, education, having the right people around you, 
that's going to get you the best possible outcome. A high value exit, yes, but also a situation for the next probably two, three years of your life that you actually enjoy being part of because it's not all bad, right? If you partner with the right private equity firm, you know, you can go on and sell your business again if you choose to, right? And you can play in that world. And there are very ethical um, firms. It's just a lot of people have had bad experiences and I've been part of that. And that's the thing that I've, you know, wanted to change in the last few years as I've started doing this. Can you talk to me about, and when I was on your podcast, you kind of taught me a little bit about it. The percentages of people that, um, one, have a business and, and just make it, and then and then out from that, who makes it to seven figure and who makes it to eight figure and who makes it to an exit? Like, what's the what's wow. the reality of all of that? You, and <laughs> it's it, crazy numbers. Yeah. I mean, the, the up to seven figures, there's, there's statistics out there that like, you know, only, you know, 4% of businesses ever break through seven figures. And that's, that's partly because like, there's lots of startups that fail and everything else like that. Yeah. The more interesting terms that I look at or numbers that I look at is that if you have a business that's in the seven figures of revenue range, mm. right? Imagine it's making 20% margin. So it's making maybe high six, it could be making seven figures of profit. The statistics are that you've got a two in 10 chance of selling that company. Now, the reason for that is that it's subscale. Uh, and where the private equity firms operate, where there is a lot of money, right, up the chain, like $4 trillion or something in US, you know, private equity firms coffers currently, yeah. they like to make big bets, not small bets. So as soon as you break through eight figures of, of revenue, certainly if you go over, let's say 5 million of EBITDA, that's in my, in my podcast episode, when we talk about it, mm -hmm. you open up what's called the mid market, which is like a bell curve of where the money is. And your chances of selling then for a high multiple is around eight out of 10. So you've just increased your chances from a 20% success rate to an 80% success rate. So I often say to someone, if they've got a small business right now, but it has the potential to be, you know, not even that big, it's still a small medium enterprise as we'd call it. Um, it's worth building the business up to those financial levels because once you get to that, you just open up a whole different marketplace for you to be able to have that, that high value exit, that high value outcome. So if you're doing seven, eight million, you really need to push that other couple extra million because that changes a changes the game. Yeah, exactly. And back to the reason why it's that sort of twelve to thirty six months of preparation. Part of that is also to be able to build the business to a certain level. So often when I get involved in a company, a lot of the clients I work with are eight figures plus. But like some of the ones that are smaller, I often say, okay, you know, we're going to spend the next you know, two years in 90 day increments. So every three months, we're going to have different priorities. And it's all about how we aggressively build this thing to a point where it gets to the right thresholds to create the outcome. And, and that takes accountability, it takes different strategies, different thinkings, partnerships, different networks, all that. And a lot of the business owners that are smaller are usually just trying to grow their businesses through sales and marketing. They're not thinking bigger around how they could do that. And that's where it's also worth just asking the question that if you've got an outcome, let's say you want to sell your business for 20 or $30 million and you're clear why that's important to you, but you then challenge yourself to say every, you know, is what I'm doing now in my business going to get me there? If you can't answer a clear yes to that, then you need to think differently about it. Otherwise you're never going to get there. Mm. So just amazingly valuable information. I love this world now. Almost like you should do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny you say that. People often say to me, like, are you building your business to exit? And the funny thing is I'm not because 
I um I get involved in what I call micro exits. So I get I get to help all these people exit their businesses, and I get to help participate and partner in those. So we're talking about okay. um, how do how do people work with you? Like how do you help people? What's the process, Nick? Yeah. So quite often I'll come into a business, as I said, well in advance of an exit. So I'm not a broker. I'm not an investment banker. I'm not there to run a process. Mm. Uh, quite often I will lead that process, as I said, in partnership with the entrepreneur, the founder. So I come in usually and, and assess the business through the lens of if I was a private equity firm, I'm going to buy it. So what are the areas which are really well optimized, which are going to increase value, which are the areas of risk and how can we de-risk? And that period takes a bit of time. That can take six months or so just to kind of get everything in shape. Then it's more focused around how do we scale it? And what's interesting about the private equity firms is they'll have teams of people that they bring in when they invest in a company. So if you need to recruit new new leaders in your team, in your business, if you need to improve marketing, uh, if you need to uh, improve operational efficiency, improve the finances, they'll have a dedicated team that comes in. And I have that as well. So I try and say that I'm going to bring that private equity experience into private business well in advance of a transaction. Okay. And then there's kind of like setting up a board and having some level of advisory. And again, if you sell your business to private equity, the first thing they're going to do is put a board around you. So the fact that you can show that you can operate with that level of support or guidance or governance in advance is also going to show that the business is mature enough. You are mature enough to be able to handle what it's going to be like when someone's going to come in and invest a lot of money in the business. Because remember, when a private equity firm buys you, they don't just buy you and do nothing. They buy you and then they invest. And they invest heavily and quite often they want to get, you know, a return on their investment, which is off the charts. So they want to make sure that a, the foundations are there, but you're ready, you know, yeah. you've got the structure. So, so that's how I come in and I'll, I'll offer advisory and mentoring and coaching to founders of that. Uh, and I also run, if, if businesses are a little bit smaller, like let's say it's a business that's in the early sort of seven figures, I run group programs for people that are needing just to understand how this world works before they want to kind of engage more in something, which is, more substantial um, towards that outcome. Highly beneficial. We're going through the process now. I laugh because I started. I started the. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. The the sales process at the beginning. Everyone does that. Don't worry. Everyone says, "Hey, let's hire an investment banker, like a, a real estate agent." No, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, I legitimately guys like yourself that was like, "What do I need to do in a decade to be able to sell this?" Oh, you did that? Yeah. But then you're you're already ahead of the game by leaps and bounds. Yeah, but I had a bunch of businesses oh, prior. I had a bunch of businesses prior to. Well, I had a bunch of failures prior to. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was like. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this one right this time. It's gonna be really uncomfortable. Clear, clear end game, Nick, is yeah. what I say. Be, you know, reverse engineer everything back from an outcome, and then it becomes a lot easier to get that outcome for anything, for anything yeah, in life. And I tell that people all the time. I'm like, what is your vision? What is the desired end state? Mm -hmm. Work backwards until you have a day. And then all you have to do is focus on that day. Do the day's yep. work. Anyways, yep. Nick, where can people find you? They can reach out to me on uh, my website is um, highvalueexit.com. So obviously named after the thing that I want people to achieve. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and your podcast? Yeah, podcast is Scale Up with Nick Bradley. And the other place I hang out a lot is LinkedIn. So people can kind of connect with me there and get in touch if they think I can help them or if they just want to learn some more about this whole crazy world of, of exiting companies for millions and millions of dollars. Honestly, even if you're not planning, in my opinion, if you're not, even if you're not planning on exiting, this is going to make 
you know, getting educated on these things is going to make your business hum a lot better. Um, it, it's going to tighten some screws up that you probably don't even know are loose. And uh, it's important that we do that if we want our businesses to do what they're supposed to do, design for us. And that's make us a bunch of money. Yeah, and also provide freedom. And the other thing I think is often the case is like, you know, you can you can exit your business without selling it. And that's the other thing. So you want to build the business so that you have freedom and you have wealth. Yes. And it's how you orchestrate both of those things that's important. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you guys go tag Nick, uh, tag my, myself, screenshot these, share them online, drop us a comment below. And um, and then I'll get Nick on. I'll get Nick over here stateside. We'll do the three-hour thing and really, and really peel the layers back oh, of this thing. Yeah, we can, we can we can unpack your business in front of everyone. In front of everybody, I, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, hit, hit the uh, like button, and uh, other than that, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.